Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. I hope that was for me and not the video, right? (laughs) You know, I'm really excited to be with you today. Uh, I've been praying all week, and one of my more spiritual prayers has been, Lord, please don't let me throw up in front of all these people, because that would not bring glory to your name. It has nothing to do with my fear of public humiliation or embarrassment, Um, because there have been plenty of those moments for me up on stage just doing worship that maybe you guys don't see, Um, like the time I led worship with my fly down the whole time, whole day. Um, Thankfully, we have long shirts now, so I might have concealed that, and I doubt any of you would have told me, because that would have been awkward, but I know who my true friends are, you know, the ones that tell you when you have lipstick on your teeth, they're not afraid, Um, but I really am excited to be here and, and share with you guys. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my family and myself. Like Pastor Brad said, Ben and I have been married for 12 years, and we have two boys, Noah and Evan. And I have a picture up here for you guys so you can see. Um, you can probably tell which one we have to keep our eye on a little bit more. You see the smile. It looks cute. looks sweet. You have to watch him. Um, but... My kids love Creekwood, and they're uh, in the Creekwood Kids, and so they love coming each week. And, you know, in our house, we have a lot of stories, a lot of events that happen from day to day. And, I mean, just Friday, actually, uh, my oldest comes running in, and he's like, Mom, Mom, Evan put his poop finger in my water. Okay. By the way, some of you are thinking, okay, what... Who's poop, you know? Um, But now, Pastor Stephen refuses to high-five Evan. No more. Um, But we have a lot of poop stories, you know, because it wouldn't be Mother's Day without a poop story, right? Right? Okay, so um, my kids were toddlers. They shared a room. And one day I go in there, and I'm checking on them during nap time. And I open the door. And you know the, like, horror movie sound? That's what happened when I opened this door because it looks like chimpanzees had taken poop and just threw it all over the room, all over their bedroom. And it was smushed into the carpet and they're both sleeping. And I'm like, okay, something happened in here between the time I put you down and between now. And so my husband happened to be home at the time. Thank God, because I don't want to clean that up. Um, And he comes in there and when one of us is really like, losing our minds, and we go to, like, the crazy place when our kids do something, the other one of us is calm, right? That's teamwork, you know? So he walks in there, and I'm, I'm the calm one for that day, and he walks in, and he opens the door, and he's just like, I don't even know where to start with this. I, I don't even know how to clean this up. I, this room will never be the same again. I, 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 it will always smell like this. As long as we live in this house, this room is ruined. It's, it's done, This is just the poop house, the poop house. And, you know, we got it cleaned up, thank God for for rug doctors. But what's funny about when my kids come to Creekwood Kids is Monday and Tuesday, their insults and arguments 
turn very spiritual, you know? They've just learned about God. And, and so I hear things like, Mom, Evan called me Satan. <laughs> Mom, Noah told me I want to go to hell and I'm not on God's side. And I, I'm thankful that they're learning about these spiritual concepts. I really am. Um, so I, I feel like that's a little bit better than the poop. So, um, but the past month, uh, Pastor Stephen has really been talking about this uncharted love of God. And um, I think it's so perfect that that would lead into Mother's Day because we make these grand references to a mother's love. You know, nobody loves like a mother. A mother would lay down her life for her child. She can pick a car up off her baby. Um, She gives everything for her family, sacrifices everything. And it got me thinking about what I've learned about God in my role as a mother. And we certainly become more acquainted with God the creator when we're pregnant and when we go through the birthing process and, and we see life being formed right in front of us. Or maybe when we've seen a family adopt a child and it seems like God just perfectly created this child to be put with this family. And you see him in that role as creator. But I think I was most moved by God as my father, as my parent, as my dad when I was parenting toddlers. Because we know toddlers, you know, they're little devils. So... (laughs) They need Jesus. But I have never, ever felt so incompetent or embarrassed that many days in a row as when I had toddlers. And as a therapist, I was constantly looking for diagnoses to describe what was happening in my household. And my husband, Ben, would sometimes say, is he a psychopath? It's okay, you can tell me. I just need, need time to process. <laughs> but moment after moment when I was home with them all day and I'm, I'm parenting them, I would hear that still small voice from the Holy Spirit in those moments when I would be screaming at my children. And I always had this thing that I was like, okay, I'm not going to yell today. I'm not going to yell today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it until 6 o'clock when my husband gets home and I can leave And I would make it till about 9 a.m. And my kids wake up at 8.30. So 30 minutes is the longest I've ever done. When they were toddlers. Now it's a little bit better. But I would be yelling and screaming at them like, don't say no to me again. Why don't you ever obey? Why don't you ever listen? And the Holy Spirit would gently remind me that God experiences that with me sometimes, that I don't listen well or obey or say yes when I'm, you know, screaming no at him. I would be reminded of how God extends grace to me over and over and over, even when I am unlovable. And then I started to question Is my idea of God contaminated by my experiences, by my experiences with my parents, or as a parent, or maybe just with people in my life who have disappointed me? 
Because my tendency, and maybe yours as well, is to shape God from my experiences with people or my feelings instead of how he's described in the word. So I began to wonder if too many of my ideas about God had made him too human. Why is this even important to talk about? Because even though we're made in his image, we are not God. And subconsciously comparing ourselves to him mars our relationship with him. Because what we believe about God shapes how we interact with him. And when we measure who God is according to our own standard of goodness, the best version of God becomes the best version of ourselves. Ew. Our best doesn't even come close. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our good works, our righteousness is like filthy rags. So our good works, our best day is unclean and corrupted. So I wanted to look today at how God parents us, how it's different and what that means for us. And just to disclaimer, this isn't an exhaustive comparison because I only have like 30 minutes, but it's just a glimpse of who he is and how it's different. The first thing is, is that God is not anxious. He does not parent out of fear. How many would agree that parenting inspires fear? Right? I remember on our way home from the hospital um, with our firstborn son, I had a literal panic attack in the car because I couldn't believe that they were giving me this human to take care of 24-7 and that the nurses weren't coming home with me to monitor his heart rate and tell me if he was breathing while he was sleeping. And I was really nervous about this, this responsibility. And I've seen this happen over and over with, you know, the coolest, most calm people that overnight they have a child, and all of a sudden, they become this baby blog-reading, first-aid-kit-toting, pediatrician-calling maniac. Overnight. Why? Why does that happen? Because all of a sudden, we have this great responsibility and instinct to protect and shield this creature from any and all harm until the day they die. And it only gets worse because as they grow older and older, our control gets less and less. And their control over their choices gets more and more. And that is scary. Fun psychology fact for parents of adolescents or young adults, the prefrontal cortex in the brain that controls decision-making It continues developing until we're 24 or 25, okay? So adolescence doesn't end until 24 or 25. So if your kids are still making bad choices, it's okay. Their brain's not developed yet, okay? So day after day, we intervene as parents in ways that are motivated out of our fears, Uh, We want to prevent pain, either our child's or sometimes our own, from the smallest of details like 
doing your kids' homework when they forgot it, to the greater ones like bailing out the adult child for the fifth time because you can't bear to see them suffer. Thankfully, God is not anxious. He doesn't parent out of fear. We can see in Psalm 139, and that's where we're going to stay today uh, for a lot of it. Um, I'll jump around in scripture, but if you want to go there, you can save your spot if you have your Bible. If not, they'll be on the screen. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. If we jump down to verse 13, it says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Even Matthew 10.30 says that even the hairs of our head have been counted. Think about that detail. So God knows every single thing about us. He breathed life into us, and he knows the last day will take our last breath. He knows our every thought, our every pain, our every struggle. And most of all, he knows our purpose. And he knows exactly what we need to move in it. A great example of God's fearless parenting is when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. See, God saw the pain and the struggle of the cross, but he also saw the third day. He saw the redemption of souls and eternity and a new heaven on earth because he sees the big picture. He sees the future, so he doesn't have to make decisions based on our comfort or change our circumstances for our convenience because he sees what's coming and he can confidently move or allow pain for our good and the good of the kingdom. Because most of our fear comes from lack of control, not knowing the future, not knowing what's gonna happen. And there's comfort in knowing that God does. Next, God is unashamed. He does not parent out of insecurity. I think we can all recall a time where we've either been embarrassed by a friend, embarrassed by our parents, definitely embarrassed by our children. And I think when we look closely at what creates that embarrassment in us, when we examine our hearts, I think we could find a number of motivations. But one common motivation seems to be, what will people think of me? As a mother of energetic boys, I've had this experience more than I care to admit. So one instance that um, sticks out to me is last Christmas, my family came to the Creekwood services, and um, I was coming out into the lobby to see them, and I, I see their 
eyes really big, and I see my brother laughing hysterically, and I think, what did Evan do? What did he do? Um, So my mother leans over to me and says, hey, um, there was a volunteer girl walking through here, and Evan just slapped her on the butt. Yeah, okay. So I was mortified, super embarrassed. And, you know, we went and did the whole apology thing and tried to make that right, tried to make that a lesson. I wanted to kill him. Um, But I I do want to talk a little bit more about what was going on in my heart. But first I want to look at Jesus because I think it is so interesting how Jesus dealt with embarrassing people and embarrassing situations. And he's this perfect human reflection of the Father. So when we look at Matthew 9:10, we see that while he was reclining at the table in the house, this is Jesus, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, Jesus said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then we look at another story when he was with the woman at the well, John 4, 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water And he said, give me a drink, for his disciples had got into town to buy food. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So Jesus approached the social outcast or the embarrassing people the embarrassing situations he was supposed to avoid. And in his culture, religious leaders did not do that. That was unheard of. And so we know that Jesus, who can, knows their thoughts, knew that this would draw criticism. But why didn't he care? Why was he not concerned with who he was with or what kind of people they were? Because Jesus was most concerned about people's hearts more than what others thought of him, more than what might be said about him or might, how it might impact his image. His mission was to save the lost. And insecurity or concerns about that image didn't matter. So going back to what was going on inside my heart and what does go on inside my heart when my kids misbehave, is I care most about what people think of me. I care most about what kind of judgments are being made about my parenting and what my kids' behavior says about me and my competence. Could you imagine how many opportunities God has had to be embarrassed by us, his kids? But no, look. Look at how God cares about our hearts, what kind of person believer, servant, we will become, what it means for us here on earth and beyond. And I want that. 
I want to care more about my children's hearts and the hearts around me than my own insecurities. I want to care more about where they are with God than how they can serve my ego or what college they'll go to. Because God's goal in parenting is our transformation and our growth. His parenting is not insecure. It's unashamed. So third, God is always present. He does not parent out of hurt. God is ever-present, and we sing about that all the time. We sing about God's presence, that he's here, that his love is everlasting. But what does that mean exactly? You know, we see David talk about this a lot. He composes songs about God's presence. So we're going to jump back to Psalm 139, this time in verse 7. We can hear David saying, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Shoal, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And see, I think we can look at this and think, okay, I get it. God's always there. I've heard that in Sunday school. But it's way more than that. He's not only present and all-knowing, he's also emotionally present, always. Even when we're not doing well, even when we deny him, even when we reject his love, his promises, he stays emotionally present with us, always. Have you ever met anyone that does that well? Have you ever had anyone in your life that when you unleash hurt on them, when you reject them, when you walk all over them, when you say no to them repeatedly, that they just say, welcome, I care about you, I'm staying emotionally connected with you. And that they're most concerned about your good and not their own pain. I can't help but think of teenagers here. I work with a a lot of teenagers in my practice, and, um, you know, we're always trying to resolve some great tension, some issue. And what's always present is just a ton of hurt, hurt that goes both ways, hurt in the parents, hurt in the teenagers. And the teenager has made some questionable choices or is acting out in some way, and the parents, of, of course, are worried and crushed and troubled by this. And a lot of times they're beating themselves up a lot and they have a lot of shame, asking themselves, what if? What if I would have done this better? But one of the hardest things for these parents to do is to stay emotionally engaged because it just hurts way too much. And it's easier to pull away. And I don't mean pulling away from your parental duties. I think, you know, You still take them to school and show up to games and make their lunch if you're really sweet like that. But I mean pulling away emotionally, putting up a giant wall around your heart. See, one of the many beautiful things about God is that he can handle our rejection. 
he can handle the, thir- the hurtful things we do, and he doesn't act out of a place of avoiding his own pain because he is completely selfless. And he can only act in this perfect loving way that's completely about us and our good. We see that over and over in Scripture. We see the prodigal son. We see how he dealt with the Israelites. But for some reason, when I was preparing, I thought of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, the people of Nineveh reject God, so he sends Jonah. And Jonah is not happy about this because he doesn't think the people of Nineveh deserve God's grace. And so he runs, and God lovingly inspires him by putting him in a fish. You know, can I put my kids in a fish? Go on vacation? So he sends Jonah out a second time to call Nineveh to repent. So we see that at the same time, God is not only looking out and working things out for the good of his servant Jonah that rejected him, that ran from him, but he's also looking out for this whole city who rejected him because God stays present even when we do hurtful things. This leads into my last point. God is steadfast. He does not parent out of weariness. God doesn't tire. He doesn't grow weary. He's patient when we struggle, even when we struggle with the same thing over and over and over again. Think about that. He doesn't get tired. Isaiah 40, 28 says, do you not know, have you not heard Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth? He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. There is no limit to his understanding. Can I tell you that there's several things that I think I struggle with over and over again But one of them that really stands out to me is anxiety. And I can really appreciate the fact that Pastor Stephen is so transparent up here and and talks about his own struggle with that. Because I could really relate to that. From the time I was three or four, I struggled with anxiety. Sometimes severely. Not sleeping at night. Just insomnia not sleeping until it got light outside, having trouble leaving the house, always thinking someone was going to break in and hurt me, even though there was no trauma at that time. And then as I got older, it kind of grew and evolved, and I would throw up on the first day of school every single year until I was in 10th grade. Obviously, I throw up when I get nervous. I wasn't kidding when I prayed that this week. And then... I get a little older, and in my early 20s, I have my first panic attack. And it's on the plane on my honeymoon. Yeah, it's good times. My husband was, my patient husband was sitting next to me and probably wondering, who did I marry? What's, what's happening? I mean, even at my wedding, you know, I'm walking down the aisle, and you're 
supposed to like feel really pretty and attractive and I was really nervous about being up in front of people like and them looking at me because all the attention is on you that day and so I'm walking down the aisle after I took a Valium and because I I really wasn't worried about marrying Ben I was sure about that I just wasn't sure about all these people looking at me and so I'm walking down the aisle and my eye just starts twitching and smiling and I'm walking and I'm trying to be pretty and attractive and not pleasant. And then I fast forward to here at Creekwood and how I've been given this opportunity to be a part of a worship team and even lead worship and how in the beginning it was hard for me to even stand up here without trembling and uh, without being in this riser room over here with my head in between my legs, breathing diaphragmatic breathing and trying not to throw up for a couple of years. You know, and and some people would say, well, why would you do that to yourself? I don't know. I don't know. I still ask myself that sometimes. But here's what it really was, is that God was inviting me to trust him and be obedient. And just because he invites you to something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And when he invited me over time, he showed his faithfulness. He showed that I could trust him and that confidence and boldness and security didn't come from my abilities or my own strengths, but that it came from him. And over time, it got easier and easier and easier, and I got more and more confident that God was always going to show up, even in my anxiety, because there were times that I thought I was not physically capable of being up here, like today. And God just reminded me, you know what? You're not, but I am. See, every day my failures remind me that he is good, that he deeply and selflessly loves us. My failures remind me that he's not me. He's not other people. He is so much better. And he is steadfast. He does not grow weary, even when it's the same thing over and over again. Let me tell you, he is not sitting there saying, she's dealing with this again, or he's dealing with this again? No. He is patiently walking with you in your struggle, and he is waiting, and he is inviting you over and over and over again. All you have to do is say yes. The best news is, when God lives in us, We're not abandoned to our worst and best days. When he lives in us, his love transforms us and we can be better. We can become more like him in who we are and how we parent and how we interact with our parents. Not because of anything in us, but because of who lives in us. You'll never be the kind of parent you want or hope to be in your own strength. You'll never be the kind of person 
you want to be or hope to be in your own strength. You know, could we just close our eyes and, and bow our heads right now? I just, I don't want there to be any distractions. I just want who God is to sink in for a moment. You know, I don't know what your childhood was like or what kind of parents you had. For some of you, you may have had great parents and you have wonderful memories. For others, childhood carries a ton of pain and loss and disappointment. For some, even abuse. And many of those memories may impact you still today as an adult. And honestly, I'd be surprised if they didn't. But no matter what happened then and now, you have a God that is chasing after you, who loves you with a selfless love and wants to be your dad. Or maybe you're like me and you're a parent that struggles with the weight of that responsibility every day and wonder if you're making a difference. And you need to be reminded of the grace of God's parenting and how he is there to walk with you through all of your mistakes and guide you and your kids. You know, in a couple seconds, Sarah's gonna sing a song about this perfect way God loves us, the way he interacts with us. And I just encourage you to just listen and allow God to speak to you. Allow him to remind you of who he is, that yes, he's perfect and holy, but he also chose you. He chose to love you, to cherish you. God, we thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you that your love is everlasting, that it is present, it is steadfast, it is unashamed, it is not anxious, and that we can rely on that and be confident in that, and that moves and changes us. So God, we are here waiting for you to speak to us, to remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.